You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm here with Casey. Hi, Casey. Hi, everyone. And we are here for episode eight of the Together in Literacy podcast, How Decodable Text Supports SEL. Very exciting topic today. We'll get into that in just a minute. First, we'd love to read a review. Uh, This one comes from Reading with Mrs. If, and we really appreciate it. It's called Helpful and Relevant. I have been enjoying all of the podcasts from Emily and Casey so far, and I can't wait for more. I especially enjoy the thoughtful conversation about relevant topics for working with real students. The focus on dyslexia and social emotional learning is spot on for today's classrooms and students. I found something to take away from each episode that I can use right away in my own classroom. And that really just speaks to the mission of this podcast. And so thank you so much reading with Mrs. If for that. And uh, we want to hear from you. So leave us a review. You never know, we may feature it on a future episode. Okay. Yeah, I love reading the reviews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really makes my day. It does. Okay. All right, Casey. So well, I never knew this about you, but take it away. Yeah. Well, you know, Emily and I started talking about decodable text. And, and for me, when I was in high school, I had been a, a competing gymnast for some time. And then when I was in high school, I decided that I wanted to completely switch gears and become a competitive diver. And I was really fascinated with those really brave athletes that would go up to the high tower, the 10 meters and do flips off of that. And I, oh my goodness, that's <laughs> what I wanted to do, but you know, they made it look so easy and I'd played around a little bit at the community pool and I could do some of the introductory dives and things like that. But I'm sure I'm certain that no one would expect me as a novice diver to just climb up to the top of the tower and be able to perform right. Mm -hmm. Instead, I met with coaches every day before school at 6am to learn those necessary skills with my goal being to make it to performing um, those types of dives in college. And I was happy to say I did that, but it really took a lot of practice with my coaches, with them providing that immediate corrective feedback and really me gaining automaticity with those foundational skills. And with each skill that I gained, I was able to add another, allowing me to gain those advanced skills needed in order to compete at the collegiate level. And so without those foundational stepping stones to gain those, that wouldn't have happened. And I, I go back to, to athletes because I think that, you know, athletes are trained by establishing those necessary foundational skills that are the building blocks for the sports that they play. And those skills really need to be learned to automaticity so that their memory, you know, muscle memory takes over and they're able to, to perform without thinking about those steps. And 
I relate that to our students and reading because for me, certainly the coaches would never have set me up to perform a dive without proper coaching and practicing because it would lead to injury, mental scarring, right? I would no longer trust them as coaches. I would have incorrect form that then would take so much longer for them to correct, right? So no coach would approach teaching someone to dive that way. And yet sometimes I see this happening with our students that are beginning to learn how to read. We're kind of just teaching them a few little things and sending them on their way. And so what I really think is that we, when we aren't giving our students the necessary foundational stepping stones, then they struggle to reach efficient reading. So Emily and I wanted to talk about decodable text because in my mind, decodable texts are those stepping stones that provide that practice of the um, explicit instruction in the phonemic awareness and the code that you are teaching in your classrooms. And without those, we're not able to access authentic text later on. And so I have a little graphic that I'll add to the, to the show notes, but really when we're talking about, you know, decodable text are the stepping stones to reading authentic text. So when we think about this, students learning to read, they need decodable text. Why? Well, decodable text that is directly connected to the sound symbol relationships being taught is the orthographic mapping process and action, which we've talked about. It develops decoding strategies to sound out words. So we don't have any partial correct reading or those approximations. It's going to provide that ample opportunities to read text that helps to create those neural pathways in the brain to unlock the reading code. And it's going to help to take away guessing or pulling their eyes away from the text. So I think for me, decodable text just makes so much sense. (laughs) Absolutely. And I love that Casey started with the story of her background in gymnastics that led to diving. I don't think you'd be able to be as successful in diving without that background in gymnastics. For me personally, I was not an athlete. I, in competitive sports, I was a dancer starting around the age of three and we would enter into competitions and it took a lot of practice many days a week to be able to be prepared to enter into that competitive phase and no dance teacher would have entered their class into a dance competition without that background and just and as Casey mentioned that immediate feedback we were constantly receiving that corrective immediate feedback right away do it again do it again (laughs) and Mm -hmm. again and again so that we were prepared to compete against lots of other schools And that was the exciting part. We felt that success once we were on that stage. And that just was the culmination of so much hard work. And reading is hard work, everybody. It's not this natural thing. For many, many people, it takes time and effort. Okay, so we wanted to sort of break down three main points today with you when we're talking about decodable text. And... When we are talking about decodables, we're talking about either passages or decodable readers or even a little decodable chapter books. Lots of great Mm -hmm. ones out there. But the three points we want to talk about are what makes a text decodable? What are the benefits of using them? And how do they support SEL? So how does using a decodable with your students support that? 
And we spend a lot of time talking about things that are emotionally sound in this podcast and how they support emotionally sound instruction. So we'll be talking about that. And, and to learn more about what we mean when we say emotionally sound, you can go back to the episodes five and six on Orton-Gillingham principles in uh, Ortonian prescription. So uh, more on that in those episodes. And we'll also address a, a very common question at the very end that we yeah. get from uh, teachers all the time. I know this is a very popular question and it's an honest one that we want to uh, take time to address as well. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's talk about what makes a text decodable. Well, that's yeah. really going to depend on what you have taught your students thus far, because you're not going to give them a decodable text that has words in it that you have not already taught in the context of your phonics lessons or your spelling lessons. The right. use of decodable text is supported beautifully when you use a systematic scope and sequence or a particular progression. And in our Orton-Gillingham lessons, we are always sort of following either a progression or for some people that use an Orton-Gillingham based program like Wilson, there's a scope and sequence. Mm -hmm. So we wanna make sure that the things that are addressed in those decodables are going to be matched to where that student is. And the matching, you know what? Might not always be exact, right? And that's, yeah. that's okay. It may not be 100% of the time, but we want to really get a very close match as much as possible. Like if I'm going to use a decodable on say TCH, then I want to make sure that there are lots of exposures and repetitions of lots of varied words that have TCH in there. Right. And have application of sound symbol correspondences that you've previously taught. Absolutely. So I think that that's kind of that tricky piece for educators and parents trying to match those up. But if you have an understanding of what decodable is, what it isn't, the difference between decodable text and predictable text, and then, you know, later Emily and I can talk about in other episodes, what do you do when you have text that maybe you haven't covered or what are some of those strategies you can use? But yeah, I think, you know, decodable text is, is important and you have to match it up to your scope and sequence or the skills that you've taught as best as possible as you can. Right. And yes, we are recommending the use of decodable text for helping children with their decoding rather than predictable or patterned text. Like for instance, you may be very familiar with books that are in a format of like the house, the Jack built or I know an old lady who swallowed a fly. Those have patterns. They're predictable patterns that are great for language building and uh, great you know, nursery rhymes and helping, especially younger children, your preschoolers, learning about the fun, playful language. That have, those have a purpose for sure. When we're talking about decodable text, they have the big job of getting your kiddos to decode and decode with accuracy. And, right. And, and so yes, if we're thinking ahead. about that simple view of reading that we've talked about previously, right. And, and we're not saying that pattern books or, or books like that don't have a place, but they're not what we would use for building word recognition skills, those decoding the ability to take words apart and put them back together based on their sound simple relationship. So Absolutely. that's where we're, 
what we're talking about. And the distinction here is we're talking about the text that you want to use that will solidly build the foundational skills of reading and support that for sure. A couple of other jobs, though, that I love is that all of the good phonics instruction that you've done when you move into the decodable, this is a chance for your children to see it in context, for them to see that there is a place and a purpose for all of that good practice that they've done, whether it's with your phoneme, grapheme, mapping activities, your blending activities, just reading words, fluency drills, all of those things. Once you get into the decodable, then that's where things are really applied in context. And they're given a lot of exposure. And for the children that we work with in particular, they need a lot of what we refer to as over-teaching. They need lots and lots of repetitions. They need lots and lots of practice and very practice too. So that's why we're talking about using a decodable, we're not just, you know, using like the same words over and over again, but try to use a nice blend, a nice variety of different words that they'll encounter. And I love that because that's really talking about giving the work a purpose so that all, and when you're working in an Orton Gillingham methodology, right, everything has its purpose and everything is linked. And while the students might not see how things are connected to one another, you as the educator need to be able to help them see that we've, you, you already know this now let's take that and put it in place here. And that's what those decodable books allow us to do. They allow us to take what they've learned, you know, the, in isolation, they'll sound symbol relationships in isolation and apply them to words and apply them to phrases and apply them to sentences and larger stories. And that, that I think really solidifies the work that that the students are doing um, with you. Yeah, you know, it just makes sense to students too. You know, it's kind of funny. Sometimes we'll be like, so why do you think I chose that passage? <laughs> or why do you think I chose that book now? <laughs> well, because we're working on this right now. Like, yes, you're right. <laughs> but just one more chance to confirm with them, like, this is why we're using this. This is the purpose. Okay, so you have lots and lots of practice right? And strengthening those neural pathways, folks. That's what we're doing here. Okay, Casey. And then we had also talked about the connection to orthographic mapping. Let me use decodable text. You want to touch on that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, decodable text, right? It's going to allow students to depend on that alphabetic code instead of guesswork, right? They're not looking at the pictures. They're not working on memorization. Instead, they are taking Though that no knowledge that they have of the sounds to the symbol, those phoneme to graphemes, and they're using it to practice decoding. So they're matching the sound to the letter representation. They're practicing the segmenting of those sounds and blending those sounds back together to make a word. And that really is the orthographic mapping process and action. And that is the purpose of decodable text for students to have that practice, to bridge that knowledge and to make that, turn that practice into something permanent, right? We want students to become automatic so that when they see any word, right, it is instantly decoded in their head so fast that it almost seems that, that it just is magic, that it just happened. Yeah. That it becomes sort of effortless in a way, right? Right. When our students are accurately reading. So we're, when we ha- talk about our jobs of decodable text, we are sort of in this controlled environment. We're controlling the text that we're giving them for a specific 
purpose. And we are counting on this text to provide them enough practice that they are going to have a super high rate of accuracy when they read. Yes. So that is uh, another one of those big, big jobs. Right. Uh, yeah. And we want students to have that high accuracy. There's, I'll have to find, maybe I can link the study in the in the show notes, but you know, it's showing that really students need to have 97 to 98 and up percent of, um, accuracy to have high levels of comprehension. So, you know, we're not shooting for 80% or no, those you're not able to truly comprehend what you're reading when you are not accurate enough. So we can't have, we can't have students just making approximations or guessing at words or getting them a little bit right, or, you know, really stumbling through. We want them to be automatic. We want them to have high accuracy, which is going to lead to fluency and high comprehension. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? Some people might think, oh, decodables are kind of boring or that the actual content or the plot has to sort of suffer in order for them to really be working on a true decodable book or something like that. And to be perfectly honest, I think there are a lot of interesting little books out there that are decodable. And so I don't think that the plot or the storyline or the content really has to suffer. I think there can be a lot of fun and playful decodables out there. And to an adult, sure, they might feel a little bit like, hmm, this is not very interesting to me, but you know what, to children, they are, they're meeting where they're at. And so um, I just, and, and that is supporting their social emotional learning, which we'll get into. Uh, it is. And, and I think, you know, we can go back to the sports analogy, right? Like mm -hmm. we have to practice some of those things in order to gain the skills to move forward. And that's what decodables let us do. And kids don't find them boring because nope. guess what? They're actually able to read something. They're really, really proud when they're able to- read something and they know that they've read the words. They didn't rely on guessing. Um, that's yeah. really powerful for them. So as adults, you know, I think we have to remember what the purpose is of decodables and mm -hmm. that it has a role and what it's doing for our students' brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad we had that discussion, Casey. I think that's such an important thing because I think sometimes that comes up, you know, some teachers sort of wonder like, uh, oh, this is sort of drudgery and, yeah. um, we don't find that to be the case. We don't. And you know what? I think one of the outcomes that happens when you are using decodable text and you are teaching something explicitly is that we, it really supports that self-teaching hypothesis that students then are able to take the knowledge that they've learned and apply it then to new learning, which is what we want our students to do, right? Those are those stepping stones to authentic text. Yes. And what a wonderful stepping stone that is to be able to apply that. And uh, that definitely supports uh, social emotional learning as well. We've talked a lot about the jobs and you know what they're sort of intermingled with our next point, which is the benefits of using decodable text. But just to reiterate, decodables are really providing students with a purpose for all of the phonics and spelling practice all that good work that you have done with them. Like this is in a lot of ways, like where the rubber meets the, meets the road. Like yeah. this is where it's in application in order to cross over eventually into that authentic text. Right. It's just, it's really helping solidify, providing them with that solid word recognition skill practice. Yeah. Yes. And we just, I want to reiterate that 
decodables will be encouraging our children to blend and not guess. We have our kiddos who come into us who have that sort of compensatory habit. They want to squeak by with just guessing at words instead of really using true decoding strategies to word attack. And when you're in a decodable, there's none of that. (laughs) No. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, for decodables, if we're thinking about students and that social emotional learning, especially for Emily and I, we work with students who have experienced struggles in school. Um, And so they often come feeling as though they can't like if they look at text, it's just too overwhelming. They don't mm-hmm. want to do it sometimes, you know, yep. or they, they've experienced some sense of failure and decodable books allow them to find success within themselves and to begin to trust themselves and to trust that they can apply the, the skills and knowledge that they're gaining to be able to read words and text. Um, and I think that's just a really beautiful thing that really builds up their self-confidence. Yes. Absolutely. So as we say, as we get into talking about how decodables support social emotional learning, um, yes, just to reiterate, you know, with the self-teaching hypothesis, that is really linking back to our discussion of metacognition. Mm -hmm. Children are self-aware of what they're reading. And so when they encounter new words that have that same particular phonics pattern or spelling pattern in there, they're able to cross over, to kind of cross that bridge and apply it into those new words that they meet. And that is really, really powerful learning right there. And what we see as probably one of the uh, biggest successes a child can have when they are that self-aware to be able to do that without our prompting. Yeah, absolutely. So we love that, but we, I think above all with decodables, just really appreciate that children, especially the kids that we work with are given those opportunities to read and feel success. Yeah. And yes, they come into us feeling really defeated. We've talked about this a lot, like the different behaviors that we see, like a lot of avoiding behaviors, not wanting to get into a book. Sometimes even with a decodable passage that I might have, yeah, I might be covering up like the majority of it. So it doesn't look too overwhelming to them or, you know, putting it in a little file folder. So they're just pulling up a little bit at a time to see Mm -hmm. just so that feeling of overwhelm just is removed. But once they start reading that decodable text and you're in things they've been previously taught, wow, I can read this. Yeah. I love that. Stop and think about that emotion that comes in when they feel that, that I'm actually reading this and I'm reading it with accuracy and I'm not embarrassed. That is so, so powerful. It is. It's one of my favorite moments is when they start to realize that they are putting everything together and they're able to attack words and text that they didn't think they could. I was just working with a little one today. And, you know, when we first started, if I even pulled out a book, Nope. We, we just <laughs> yeah. were not even, it was just, it was too overwhelming. And today that little one pulled out a book, grade level book and read the whole book. 
Amazing. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Look at you. Back to when we started where it was just even the concept of like the idea of a book was Mm -hmm. way too much. And now, yep, we're good. So yeah. That is such an amazing feeling. Yes. Um, And when we talk about success, success leads to motivation. Yes. They want to read more. They want to pick up that book. As Casey just said, they're feeling that like, I want to do more of this. Yeah. I'm feeling good about myself. And that from success to motivation to independence. Yeah. And I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here because, you know, sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, they're a student that hasn't, isn't reading. It's just because they haven't had the right book, meaning the book of interest, but In their I hands. would argue yeah. that mm. they aren't reading because they don't yet have those foundational skills in order to link knowledge to print. And for me, that's where that's at. We have to provide students with that explicit instruction because that's how students love to read. Yeah. I mistakenly thought as a young teacher that if I could just show my kids how much I loved books and just lovingly showed all these wonderful books to them, that I would just be imparting my love onto them and they would love it too. But that, when I stop and think back at that, is not really honoring or or realizing where they were in their development. Yeah. You can have a love of books all you want, (laughs) but without taking the time to build up that foundation, that solid foundation for these kids, that love is just not going to be there. Right. I don't know anyone that loves things that are hard for them. Right. So we have to help them with those building blocks so that they can access it. Absolutely. Oh, well, we hope that between talking about the jobs of decodables and their benefits and how they support social emotional learning, that we will open up a discussion among your work colleagues within your school administration, your district, to really see that this is an integral part of what all classrooms need, not just in the intervention model. Yeah, I I think that, you know, kind of viewing decodable texts and shifting our thinking so that we're viewing them as those stepping stones can be really helpful for people who might, who might be kind of stuck in, in understanding their, their role, right? We're not staying in decodable text forever. And so Emily, I think this kind of leads us into the question, you know, I, one of the questions that is often asked um, is, you know, how long do students stay with decodable text? Right. That is a really common question. We get asked that a lot. And you know what? We want to make sure that our students have enough foundation of specific phonics patterns that they've developed enough accurate decoding. And we've gone from simple to a bit more complex patterns. And you know what? Typically, for some readers, that might be by the end of first or second grade. But you know what? When we're talking about a challenge reader, then we don't really tend to put a timeline on something like that because we're talking about intervening and providing a lot of extra practice. So 
that timeline is sort of off for someone that is that needs a lot more time, like a child with dyslexia. Yeah, I think that goes back to when we were talking about the Orton-Gillingham principles and, and Emily had mentioned that her fellow had said, well, it depends. It depends. <laughs> Mary <laughs> Briggs always said, it depends. So it really is. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's so, so true. But the one distinction I want to make is this, is if you've at any point transitioned into authentic text with children, and they start reverting back to guessing. Yeah. They're not quite ready. Yeah. They're not really matched well, and they may very well need more support with decodables. Yes. We don't want anybody reverting back to any of those old compensatory habits. We want them to have strengthened strategies to help them move along through the text enough so that they're gaining comprehension. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, teacher knowledge and knowing what to look for and how to progress monitor and how to analyze where your students are at really comes into play. Absolutely. And that's going to take a lot of kid watching when you're in your small group instruction and really noticing, looking at, you know, where they're falling down the text. Um, Are you seeing patterns with with a particular skill that, you know what, ooh, thought they had shown me automaticity with all of the H digraphs, but hmm, I'm not really seeing that application into this text. Hmm, I should probably go back and do some reteaching. That's a big, big hint for sure taking careful notes for for sure in those small reading groups that you have with your students. And it's okay to go back to use those decodables or keep using them as reinforcers, even, you know, if they're short ones, sending them home for extra practice so that they can feel successful when they're reading to a family member that can, you know, that's another option. Absolutely. So we're going to make sure that there is a little We could go on and on with suggestions of decodable books. We're not going to get into that in this episode because then we'd be here a lot longer, but we'll include a list of some decodable books that we like. And Casey has that wonderful image on uh, the purpose of using decodables that Mm -hmm. we'll put in there as well. And uh, anything else we need to include in there? No, I just want to kind of tie it back into, you know, if you're going to go back to your sports analogy to help you with understanding the decodable books, you know, just kind of remembering for me, if I had viewed all those foundational skills of the high dives as boring or unnecessary, I indeed would not have found success. And I most likely would have ended up with a very painful belly flop. So (gasps) yikes, that sounds really painful. Sometime if there's any video footage of you diving. I would love to see that. I'll have to check. And I I might have some old like VHS tape of one of my tap dancing competitions somewhere, but who owns a VCR anymore? I don't. So So, so think about those decodable texts as helping your kids from avoiding those belly flops and reading. We don't want that. For sure. (laughs) All right, folks, we want to thank you so much for joining us in episode eight. Definitely think about leaving us a review and you want to check for the show notes on www.togetherinliteracy.com and any questions at all 
we are happy to feature them in our episode, our future episodes. We don't mention anybody's names in there, but if you'd like to reach out, the email is support at togetherinliteracy.com. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.